0: And hey, why don't we start with prayer? Bow with me. Father of glory, we come to you again, Lord, asking that you would do the impossible. God, I ask humbly that immeasurable power would strike this room and that you would awaken the souls of students by the power of the Gospel. I pray that students' eyes would be opened and that they would see the glories of Jesus Christ and what His resurrection and His ascension means in their life and how His power connects to us when we believe in Him. So God, I pray that you would do that. Only you can do that. We can't manipulate that. I I can't force that upon students' hearts, small group leaders. We're all bowing our knee, asking you to do the good work. And for the staff, for the leaders, for the students, even in this room who have been made alive, God, I pray that there would just be... glorious, glorious revival in their hearts in the sense that they would be so worshipful and thankful and just in awe again of how good you are in your great salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I have a third baby now. Uh, I, I talked about him. I, I talked to him obviously, about him, obviously, at Summit Bible Church. But um, at Faith, right when I came, last time I preached, he had been born. Here's a picture of Andrew. If we got it, there he is. That's Drew Boy. He is our new, uh, very squishy and ticklish baby. Uh, you could poke him anywhere and he, he starts to smile and laugh. He's super ticklish. It's fun. Um, uh, but some, a, a lot of people don't know this. Andrew's delivery at the hospital was, was a bit traumatic. Uh, he gave us a little bit of a scare. Um, when he came out, he wasn't crying, which is not good he's not crying, it means he's not breathing. He was in shock. And this happened to Reagan too, our our second uh, child, uh, my oldest son. Uh, But within 10 seconds, Reagan snapped out of it and then gasped for air and let out a huge cry. But when Andrew was born, it was about a minute when he didn't make a sound. Just to give you some perspective, I'd like us to be silent for a minute, okay? Starting now. A minute's a long time, isn't it? A silent minute is a long minute. It was enough time for a handful of PICU nurses to enter the room. The doctor delivered Andrew. He got stuck coming out his shoulder. So that's what put him in shock. And she quickly gave him to the nurses and the nurses are, you know, hitting him on the back, trying to get him to breathe. They're pressing on his chest. They've got him under the heat lamp doing all kinds of things to try to get him to scream, shaking him, rubbing his back. It was enough time for the delivery nurse, one of them, to come back to me and Brie after what seemed like minutes, but was probably 20 seconds. And she said, we're doing everything we can. My heart dropped underneath my stomach. It was enough time for me to pray, Lord, save him. It was enough time for me to have the thought. Did I just lose my child? There's enough time for me to look down at Bree and both of us make eye contact, and I'm just thinking, what am I going to tell my wife? And then he lets out a scream and he cries. Now, when babies cry, it's not that pleasant of a sound. It's really annoying. I've had three of them. But trust me when I say, when Andrew let out that cry, it was one of the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard on earth. And I'll remember it for the rest of my life. Because his cry told me what? He's alive. He's alive. He's breathing. And in that minute, my heart Went from underneath my stomach to out out the top of my head. I was elated, exhilarating. My son, he's okay. By God's grace, he was just in shock. He was able to breathe. No further complications. We are blessed. Blessed with our third child. And so thankful to the Lord that that was just a scare. But it was scary. It was a scary, dark minute. And maybe that gives you a little taste of what we're about to go through, of what we went through reading Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. It is a scary and dark minute reading through those three verses. You go to a low place, the bottom of the barrel, the depths of the pit. You're dead, breathless, lifeless, cold, can't breathe. No pulse. Dead because of your trespasses and sins. Living in a world ruled by Satan. Slaves to the passions of your flesh. Your destiny was judgment, wrath. I don't think the scene could get any darker. I don't think the pit could get any deeper. These were desperate times in desperate places. One thing is clear. There's nothing you can do, student, to get yourself out. You have absolutely no power to change your condition, your world, your conduct, or your conclusion. There's only one thing you can do. It's the same thing that I did in the delivery room with Andrew. Lord, please. Save me. And student, it is then, is in that moment of true surrender, like a gasp for breath, like a spike on the heart monitor, like a lightning bolt coming down from the sky, the first sign of life. We come to two words in verse four that changes everything. Look at verse four. Two words, but God, but God, there are not sweeter words that we can read under heaven than these, but God, that means God did something, God intervened like a beam of light through the darkness. Like the life preserver to the one drowning. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive. Together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. This is divine intervention. You could not reach up. God reached down. To the depths of our despair, and he quickened us to life. He did the impossible. He raised the dead by the immeasurable greatness of his power. I want you to know that the most powerful display on earth, maybe you see the explosion of a nuclear bomb, maybe you see a guy make a lot of money, those power displays pale in comparison to what happens to your heart when you believe. That's amazing. Only God can change a man's heart. Only God can make a dead man alive. And he does just that. This is what God does to every sinner that he saves. And I want to ask you tonight. Are you alive? Are you breathing? Do you have a pulse? If so, praise God. And I want you to see just how great your salvation is. Even me as a Christian. I'm reading these verses. And they overwhelm me every time. Every time that I study them. And I hope to... To just inflame your heart with adoration and love for God who made you alive. But if you're not alive, I pray, as I just did, that God would wake you up tonight. Only by his power. It is clear God made us alive. And this passage answers three questions related to that. Question number one. Write this down if you're taking notes. Why? Why would God make us alive? I mean, did he not see us in that horrible condition? Slaves in the world of Satan, slaves to our own sinful desires. Why would God make us alive? He tells us why in this passage. Three reasons. Because God is rich in mercy. Because he is great in love. And because he has immeasurable grace. Look at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. God doesn't have incredible wealth. God has immeasurable wealth. Look at verse 7. He made us alive, raised us up, and seated us with him. Why? Seven, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why would God make us alive? Because he's rich in mercy. Because he has great love. Because his grace is immeasurable. So much so that in heaven for eternity, he will continue to lavish and lavish and lavish it upon you. And it will never grow old. He is a generous, generous father. A father that I know every single person in this room craves and wants. He has unimaginable wealth. Even his love surpasses knowledge. Ephesians 3.19 says. I live in Rancho Cucamonga. Those of us from Summit Bible Church live in Fontana, Rancho Cucamonga area. And we know, but you may not know, that there are a lot of these around us. I think I have a picture. Come in Now. 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 Now? No? Rise here. Come on, baby. Everybody's waiting. What do they have? What do they have? What do they have that we don't have? It's got to be something special. Any chance? Wow. He has to get out. Here it is on the Great Reveal. It's (laughs) dead. Okay, I'll just tell you. Can you not tell in the picture? Unbelievable. Let the recording show that the back is scrambling, scrambling, trying to find a picture. It's so hard to tell in that picture, actually, because it is so small. Hey, I've got to move on. Here we go. we are not going to wait here 20 minutes for me knuckleheads, <laughs> to figure this out. Unbelievable. It's right there. Like, I can grab it out of the TV and show you. I think. Okay, everybody close your eyes. Here's how we'll do it. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. Seriously. And I want you to picture in your mind a big, big building. Okay? And this building is filled with lots and lots of stuff. Oh, so you said it. Warehouses. Yeah! Epic. Okay. So, uh, listen, uh, Rancho Cucamonga, Fontana, Ontario, our area is filled with distribution centers. Filled with them. I mean, the freeway is lined with them. Here's a picture of our Amazon distribution center. It is literally like miles long and miles wide. We've got Walmart, we've got Ferguson, Cisco, Honda. All of these name brand companies have huge commercial buildings, massive distribution centers. And it's really unbelievable unbelievable how big these buildings are and how much stuff is in them. I mean, you guys know Amazon is a massive, massive company. Think about how much stuff is in them, how many boxes, how many little trinkets, things that you guys order online with a click of a button it shows up to your house the next day. This is why. Warehouses filled and filled with stuff. The picture we get of heaven in Ephesians is that it's a place with storehouses greater than Amazon. Much larger and overflowing. Not with inanimate, inanimate sorry, small value objects like curling irons or TV stands. But God's storehouses are filled and overflowing with invaluable and personal treasure. The personal treasure of God. Mercy, grace, and love overflows from heaven. God himself toward us. Toward his children. I just want us to look at these three treasures The motivators, the reason why God makes us alive. First, mercy. Write this down. Mercy is undeserved relief. Mercy is undeserved relief. When you disobey your parents or your teacher or your coach, there are consequences, aren't there? It could be that they take away your phone. They ground you. They punish you with suspension, even expulsion. You're off the team. Mercy is this. Mercy is when they say, I should punish you, but I'm not going to. It is undeserved relief from from punishment, withholding punishment. Last message, we learned that our sin ultimately earns wrath. Sin earns wrath and judgment. We deserve wrath from God. But instead, he shows us mercy. He withholds the punishment that we deserve. You could sin a million times, student. You could have done some really bad things. You could have had some really evil thoughts, bad intentions. You could have said some really hurtful words. You need to know that God's mercy, just like we just sang, is more than your sin. His mercy reaches past your sin to withhold the punishment that you deserve you rightly deserve that's god's mercy his compassion to withhold the punishment you deserve it's undeserved relief lamentations 3:23 says his mercies never come to an end what about his great love I want you to write this next to love. Love is unconditional sacrifice. Love is unconditional sacrifice. Unconditional means it's unearned. If you were to sit across the table from God and ask Him, God, why do you love me? He'll respond and say, Because I am and I do. It's not because of anything you've done, it's not because of external pressures. God loves because He is and He does. He simply sets His love upon you, and it's unconditional. There's no reason outside of Himself for setting His love upon you. He is and He does. 1 John 4, 8 says this, God is love. And this is how His love was manifest, that God sent His only Son into the world. So that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God. But that He loved us. And sent His Son. To be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. Students, for some of you this is hard to embrace. Because for your whole life you've been living with conditional love. You've thought that love is conditional. I need to earn love. I need to look good to be loved. I need to do good to be loved. That's not how God's love works. He loves you because He he loves you. It's unconditional. No strings attached. You don't have to perform. You don't have to impress. He loves you. And God's love is far greater than any other love this world or any other person can offer. Finally, grace. Mercy undeserved relief. Love, unconditional sacrifice, and the grace of God is undeserved favor. The grace of God, write this down, is undeserved favor. So mercy is withholding the punishment you deserve. Grace is the gift that you don't deserve. And I want you to see that grace doesn't stop once you're saved. Grace doesn't stop when you're saved. God gives you this great gift. Okay, there you go. And he walks away. No, no, no. God saves you to give you more grace. To lavish you with grace for eternity. Not just the rest of your life. In the coming ages, he might bestow upon you and show you the immeasurable riches of his grace. His generosity does not stop. He's continually generous, continually giving, continually blessing you, comforting you, holding you, securing you, loving you, giving you gift after gift after gift that you didn't deserve. This is God, His immeasurable grace. So three reasons why God makes us alive. What motivates God to make us alive? What motivates God to save us? Because he's rich in mercy. Because he's great in love. Because he has immeasurable grace that he wants to lavish upon us. Tell me, student, who is more attractive than God? Don't say something dumb. No one. No one touches him. No one touches God. He is infinitely attractive. Because he is infinitely gracious. He's infinitely loving. And he's infinitely merciful. It's who he is. He's rich in mercy. He's great in love. That tells you why he did what he did. When... When did God do what He did? When did God make us alive? Look at verse 5. When we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. Would you die for a dead man? Jesus did. Would you die for an enemy? Jesus did. Would you die for someone who continues to attack you? Continues to offend you? Continues to make really your life miserable because they're doing everything wrong and not right, would you die for that person? God did. Romans 5.8 says it a different way. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still dead, while we were still slaves of Satan, slaves to our sinful desires, that is when Christ died for us. And God made us alive. This is the nail in the coffin to any idea that someone can save themselves. You couldn't because you were dead. And that's when God made you alive. I mean, do you really think you had anything to do with it? Do you think you helped at all? You contributed anything? God, let me lend you a hand. No, it's all God. It's all grace. It's all His power. This is an undeserved gift. By grace, you see there, you have been saved. That's obvious. It should be obvious by now. Now, the third question is how? And I want to spend the remainder of our time on this How did God make us alive? There is a significant connection between the passage that we studied in the first session and the one we read tonight. Maybe you recognize the phrase. Let me read Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 again. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And here's the part that should be familiar. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now go back to chapter 1 and let's read again verse 19 and 20. He wants us to know and see what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to in measure with the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at His right hand in the heavenly places. How does the immeasurable power of God connect to us through Jesus? Get this, student. If you believe in Christ, when immeasurable power struck that tomb and struck that body, and He was quickened to life, when the rats couldn't tie Him down, The tombstone could not stand in His way, and He walked out of that tomb alive? So did we. God became a man, conquered sin and death by being the perfect sacrifice on the cross, paying the punishment for our sin. He died. And then he was buried in the tomb and he rose again three days later, defeating death, defeating sin. And because Jesus did that, that affects in your life. That's the power that raises you from the dead. You are united with Jesus Christ. You are connected to immeasurable power if you believe in him and trust in him. Jesus is the how. By the way, the how is always Jesus. It's always Jesus. How did God show us mercy? By staking the cross between the flood of God's wrath and you. He withheld the wrath and punishment from you and poured it out on his only son on the cross. How did God show us love? Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. How did God show us love? He laid his own life down for you. Gave his own life on the cross to save us from our sins. How can we die to death? How can we be made alive? Because Jesus died our death and he walked out of that grave alive and we did hand in hand with him. The how is always Jesus, student. Look at Him. Look at Christ raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. And because of Jesus, so can you. If you believe in Him, that power that raised Him from the dead raises you to new life with Him. Look at Jesus, the God-man, Look at the champion over sin and death. Look at the only Savior. Look at the one who loves you more than anyone else can. Look at the one who died for you. Look at the one who was raised for you. and look at the one who secures your seat in heaven. He not only made you alive through Christ together with Christ, he raised you up and look, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You might say, well, Morgan, I I may feel alive, like I have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't feel like I'm sitting in heaven. I'm here on earth. What does that mean? He's talking about spiritual things here. He's talking about us being made spiritually alive. So even though physically we are not there with Christ in heaven, spiritually, our salvation, get this, is secure and everlasting in a sense Jesus saves a seat for you. He saves a seat for you in heaven. Where you will be a co-heir and co-ruler in his future kingdom forever. If you are united with him. If you are truly born again, made alive. Your salvation is secure next to Jesus. Jesus. God didn't just wake us up. He took us from the lowest of the lows to the highest of heights. He scaled a mountain that we could not climb. And there we are seated next to the king. On the summit of our salvation. Do you know Christ? Is this you? Are you alive? More than alive. Are you with him? Are you with him? An- another thing that we have in, in Rancho Cucamonga Fontana-, Fontana area is that we live in the- at the foothills of Mount Baldy. I think I have a picture of that too. Oh, there he is. There he is. Okay, so that's Baldy with snow on it. Baldy is one of SoCal's highest summits, 10,064 feet. I made the hike last year. It was an incredible climb, ascending 4,000 feet from the trail base. There were switchbacks all the way up, a little bit of snow we had to get through. And when you get to the top, you're at the highest point in all of San Bernardino County for sure. And it feels like you can see all of Southern California. If you look south, you can see almost all the way into San Diego. You look north, you can see past, you know, Apple Valley, even to the Mojave Desert. If you look west, at times, if it's clear enough, you can even see the ocean. It is high. And when you're standing at the summit of Baldy and you look down from where you came, and everybody just looks so small. In fact, you can't even see people. Hard to see cars. You just see little tiny buildings that look like ants. And you just think, look how far I've come. From that point, how far down it is, and look how far I've come. Listen, Ephesians 2 is written in such a way to show you how far you've come if you're with Christ. A little bit premature. (laughs) But thank you. I'm getting there. It will be a joke. Maybe not anymore. But listen, you you sit on the summit of your salvation, not because of your own effort, not because of anything you've done. It's because of someone else's. Here's where we get to that. I didn't mention probably the most important aspect of my ascent on Baldy. I didn't do it alone. I was with none other than Luke Shada. Yeah, Bear Girls in the flesh. There he is. Luke, my brother in law, he helped me get up Baldy. And I desperately needed him. Luke Shada doesn't hike Baldy, he runs Baldy. He runs up and down in crazy time. He uh, once survived a blizzard on the peak of Mount San Yuseno by digging a snow cave, and he slept in it by himself. <laughs> He's crazy. And some of you know more of his stories. Um, so that's the picture at the summit. I was pretty miserable, Don. The next picture obviously shows where I was at halfway up the hike, <laughs> bending over, about to vomit. My... My quads were cramping. I literally couldn't lift my leg to, to take another step. We had to take stops like, I'm not kidding you, every maybe 10 steps at a certain point. I was so exhausted. Many times leaning even on his shoulder. I could not do it without Luke's encouragement, his experience, and at times his physical help. It's pretty humiliating. Another grown man helping you walk. (laughs) I ascended Baldy with him. I depended in him and definitely couldn't do it without him. Here's a more explicit picture of our ascent to the summit of our salvation. We arrived, student, on the back of Jesus Christ. Not taking a step in our own effort. Remember, we couldn't. We were dead. But Jesus, by his immeasurable power, puts us on his back and accomplishes salvation for us. He makes the ascent. He makes the climb. It is all Jesus Christ, our champion. And he takes us up so that he would just continue to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the power of salvation. Student, I pray that this power would strike your heart tonight. If you're not a Christian, I want you to look up. There's a mountain in front of you that you can't climb. You'll never ascend in your own strength. It is impossible. You're dead. Look to Christ tonight. Look to Jesus who lived the perfect life you couldn't live. Who died on the cross to be your substitute. Take the punishment, the wrath that you deserve. He died. He was buried and he rose again conquering your sin and your death. And he secures a place in heaven for you. Look to Christ. Cling to Christ. Trust in Christ. Even tonight. In next message, tomorrow night, I'll explain even further what it means to truly place your faith in him and in him alone for salvation. For those of you who are Christians, I don't want you to look up. I want you to look down. Look at how far you've come. Look at how far Christ has taken you. You've been raised to new life. You've been seated at the right hand with Christ. Why? Why would you ever go back down to the bottom? Live your life from the summit of your salvation. Walk with Jesus. He's far better than all that trash that you left behind in the valley. Live in the reality of your union with Christ. I think it was Augustine who said, Many men think of Christ only as a Savior outside of themselves. And not as a Savior who lives within them. Jesus is with you. If you're His, walk with Him. Let's pray.